0: I hope that you have your copy of the scriptures, and if you do, we're going to study about the love that Lee and Megan have just led us in singing about. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 29 through 39. And lest anyone think that uh, my jumping from one copy of scripture to another, one translation to another, is to confuse you, it is not. Uh, I've told you over the years that in my personal devotions in Bible study, I read uh, from a, a plainer version, such as uh, the Good News Bible is one of my favorites, and that's what I use in my personal devotions. But the Living Bible also means so much to me just in helping me understand what God is saying through his word. I'm not criticizing other other uh, translations by any means, um, but this morning, I want you to understand why I'm reading out of the Living Bible. And if you don't have a Living Bible, that's fine. But to me, this just puts it down in, in plain English that I can, I can understand. So let me pray and ask God to bless us as we read and study his word today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can not only sing about your love, but, Lord, we can, we can enjoy and experience your love every day. Father, I thank you that through your son, your love has been shown at its full force. I thank you that by his taking our sin upon his shoulders, as one of the song has said, that we have been freed from our sin and we've been given a new life, eternal life, through Jesus, your son. And this morning, as we read and study the words that you inspired Paul to write to the Christians in Rome who are under great persecution, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. We're not under persecution as they were, but Father, we need to be reminded of the great love that you have for each one of us. And I pray, Father, for those that might be in the congregation that have not yet trusted your Son as Savior. Lord, perhaps as a young child that's growing up learning the Bible stories and hearing about Jesus and about his death, oh Father, help them to begin to understand how much Jesus loves them. And, Lord, perhaps there are some senior adults here. All their life they've heard that Jesus loves them, but yet they've never yielded their heart in repentance and faith to your Son to fully receive the love that you have for them. O oh God, speak to us all. For we who are Christians, Father, may we rejoice as we leave this place knowing that we are truly loved by our Creator, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Father, please take the words of Scripture and speak to every one of our hearts. Lord, help us to know that you are here, and you want us to know you in a better way. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow with me in your copy of Scripture. The Living Bible is on the screen, okay? Verse 29. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son. Now, again, there's so much in this passage of Scripture. But, folks, that is God's goal for each one of our lives, that we should become like his son. Is that not a marvelous statement? So that the son would be the first with many brothers. Look at verse 30. And this is the verse that we're really going to focus in on this morning, okay? Just look at verse 30. If there is one verse that is absolutely crammed full of important things, it is this verse. And we're going to, as we look at it in just a minute, we're going to find out six things that Christ has done for us. Listen to this. And having chosen us, he called us to come to him. And when we came, he declared us not guilty, filled us with Christ's goodness Gave us right standing with himself, and promised us his glory. Verse 31. What can we ever say to such wonderful things as these? If God is on our side, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, won't he not not also surely give us everything else? Verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God know he is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself? Who then will condemn us? Will Christ know for he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us there in heaven? Isn't that a beautiful picture? The Lord Jesus in heaven is pleading, is praying for you and me. The next time you get into a crisis spot in your life, know that Jesus Christ is praying for you. And I've told you this, I believe, before, and I want to share it again. I promise you that every Sunday that I get up here, I'm intimidated and I'm afraid. But something that I remember, not only for me, but for everyone who stands in the pulpit, everyone who stands in the Sunday school room, wherever the word of God is is being shared, Jesus is praying for us all. Amen. Whenever you get ready to witness to somebody about your faith, guess what he's doing? He's pleading to the Father. Father, give him strength. Whenever you and I are facing temptations, I'm ready to preach a sermon outside of the notes this morning. But do you get the picture? Jesus is praying for us. We don't need to fear anything. This is what this section is about. We should not fear anything at all because our Lord is not only with us. Nothing can separate us from his love, and he is praying for us. Back to the text, verse 35. Who can... Who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we're hunted down or destroyed, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? And if we're hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? Paul answers his own questions. I love the way he does this. Verse 36, no. For the scriptures tell us, underscore that, for the scriptures tell us, That for his sake we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We're like sheep awaiting slaughter. Verse 37. But despite all this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't. The angels won't. All the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. And listen to the latter part of that verse our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow. Now, folks, look. He says, today, tomorrow, nothing separates us from God's love. Verse 39, Or where we are, high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. Two weeks ago, we began this, what will be, I don't know how long it's going to be, But there were three areas I believe that God wants to work in our lives. And let me point those out, okay? And this is the one we're on right now. What God the Father and Jesus desire to do for us. For us. Secondly, what God the Father and Jesus desire to do in us. And thirdly, what God the Father and Jesus desire to do through us. And folks, two weeks ago, I asked this question. How can you and I discover what God wants to do in our lives? And, folks, there are at least three ways. Number one, we can study and meditate upon the Word of God like we're going to do in just a moment as we study out of Romans chapter 8. Number two, we can pray. We can seek God's guidance for our lives And number three, and this is so critically important, that after we study and meditate on the Word of God, after we pray to the Father and to the Lord, then we surrender and yield to the Holy Spirit of God. And folks, it does no good to read and study the Word of God and to pray if you and I are not willing to surrender and yield to the Holy Spirit of God to be in control of us. When the Holy Spirit of God is in control of us, He is going to convict us of our sins. And, folks, don't get this picture now that all the Holy Spirit wants to do is the negative stuff, just convict us of our sin. Folks, we've got to get sin out of our way so that we can faithfully be obedient and understand what God wants to do for us. The Holy Spirit also will empower us, and the Holy Spirit will bear spiritual fruit and works through us. And we need to ask this question, where do you and I stand in relationship to God right now? Where do we stand? Are we a non-believer? And I'm not saying that critically or judgmentally. That means are we outside of faith in Christ? We don't have a relationship with God through Christ. We've never repented of sin and believe that Jesus died on the cross to take our sin away and make us a new creation through his blood and enter us into the family of God. Is that where you're at today? The good news is the Lord Jesus is here and he's reaching out to you in love. How about this second place that we could be? A professing Christian, but we've not grown in our relationship with Christ. And the Lord is a stranger from our past. We can identify that point in time. Maybe it was a revival. Maybe it was at a camp meeting. Whatever it might have been, it was a time when we trusted Christ as Savior, and we know that he did something in our, in our hearts. But he's now a stranger to us. And we're satisfied to continue as we are until we reach heaven. Are we in a third place? A believer who wants to grow in our relationship with Christ, but there's at least two obstacles that stand in our way. Number one, we don't know how. And number two, we are afraid to pursue a deeper relationship to Christ. Folks, in Romans 8, verses 30 to 39, Paul reveals what God has done for us in and through Christ. In these 10 verses, Paul uses the personal pronoun 26 times. And you can just look at these. I'm not going to repeat them again because I'm going to go through them quickly. But folks, here's my point that I want you to understand. What Paul is writing for these Roman Christians can be written about you and me too. This is what the Lord has done for us. Have we lost our excitement and enthusiasm about what Jesus Christ has done for us? I cannot read these verses of scriptures without getting pumped up. Every time I'm reminded of how much Jesus loves me and he loves you and all that he's done for us. And folks, it's not just the things in the past. It's what he's doing right now and what he's going to do in the future. All of this is wrapped up in these verses. So, folks, I want to take time to look at these verses and see what God has done for us through Christ. When and if we receive Him as our personal Savior, now I got to confess. In this next overhead, probably put the wrong word up there. Okay, Fran wrote down what. I, if you'll go to the next one, a quick summary. You know, I cannot do anything quick. Amen especially when it comes to the Word of God. But, folks, let me give you a summary of what Paul said Christ has done for us in Romans 8, 29 through 39. And, folks, again, I want to point out what Paul says the Lord has done for you and I in verse 30. And we're probably not going to get beyond verse 30 today, but I want to point out there are six things that Paul says that Christ has done for us. And let me mention all six first, and then we'll break it down, okay? He's chosen us. He's called us to come to him. He's declared us not guilty. Praise the Lord. He's filled us with Christ's goodness. He's given us right standing with himself, and he's promised us glory. What do these phrases mean? Well, first of all, and I know that in some translations, and we spoke about this two weeks ago, and I hope you hadn't forgotten that the concept here being predestined does not mean that that God has chosen some to be lost and some to be saved. That's not what it means. God knows in his infinite knowledge. But God has provided the way for everyone to be saved. It is God's plan for everyone to be saved. But God knew before creation who would receive him and who would reject him. But God has given mankind freedom of choice. And if you missed that sermon two weeks ago, we we bore out some of the facts about that. But, folks, it is God's plan for each of us to know his love and salvation. And, again, I don't want you thinking I'm trying to coerce you today to trust Christ. I just want to make it plain so that you truly understand that there is scriptural evidence that God provided the way for every single person to be saved. And it is God's desire that every lost sinner come to repentance and salvation. And let me just give you a couple of verses of Scripture for this, okay? First of all, Ephesians one four. Look at this: Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, folks. It was God's plan, and knowing that in creating mankind with free will and free choice, that Adam and Eve would make the wrong decision in sin, and that all mankind would follow their footsteps because of our sinful nature, and that we would choose to sin and rebel against God's plan for our life. So God had a plan, a plan of redemption. As some have said, that theme begins in Genesis and runs all the way through the end of the Bible. Adam and Eve's sin did not catch God by surprise. The cross of Jesus Christ was not an accident of history, but it was a plan of God. Let me give you some more scriptural evidence. Look at John three sixteen and 17. I know you say, well, he uses those verses all the time. Absolutely, and I'm proud of it too. I done told Debbie, I want that inscribed on my headstone. I don't know what she's going to put. Probably, thank God, he's gone. All right, but <laughs> just seeing if y'all are still awake, okay? Look, every time these two verses, the word world is in it. Will you just jump right in to say the word world, okay? For God so loved the That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Y'all are doing outstanding this morning. (laughs) Here's my point. I never, and look, I never realized it until this morning. Do you know in those two verses, four times the word world is used? The Greek word "cosmos," which means everybody. He died for everybody. It was God's plan for everybody to be saved. Thank God. Folks, Jesus came not to save a few, not to save the Southern Baptists, not to save the people on Chubb Lake. But he came to save everybody. Regardless of of how bad a sinner Jesus came to save. And folks, listen to this, Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. And you know the context of this is looking at the end time and the coming again of the Lord. But listen to what Peter says. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Folks, when God says it in his word, I believe it. And I believe that God's intention is that every single person be born into the kingdom of God. And that includes everyone in this room and everyone in this community and everyone in this world. That was God's plan. Listen to the second thing that God has done. He has called us to come to him. Isn't that beautiful? Called us to come to him. Have you heard that call yet? And I'm not talking about necessarily an audible voice. Let me give you a couple of examples. And I think it is so important that in the gospel of Mark, the first two times that Mark records that Jesus speaks, is a call. Listen to this, Mark 1.15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. According to the gospel of, of Mark, who picks up Jesus' life at the very early stage of his ministry, the first things that Mark says Jesus said was repent and believe in the gospel. Two verses later in Mark 1.17, after he had called some fishermen to salvation, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Folks, you reckon there's something important about this? Do you reckon that Christ calls people to repent and believe in the gospel and then he, re- he calls those receiving the gospel to follow him and to become fishers of men? The New Testament reveals how Christ calls believers to become a part of his family and his church. And bless God, one day he's going to call us to go home to be with him in heaven. I want to just add this in because we're going to get that in just a few minutes, okay? Revelations 4.1 is such a powerful verse to me. And along with many, I'm not a scholar, a Bible scholar, but along with a lot of other believers, that's a picture of the rapture where Christ calls the church to lead this world and be with him as the Lord called John to come up hither. And put that in Jeff Foxworthy, y'all come on up now, him. Yeah? But folks, and I'm not trying to make light of these things, our Lord calls us to come to Him. And folks, I believe between the start and finish of God's plan for my life and your life are at least three steps. Step number one, and this comes out of the Bible knowledge commentary. Let me document where this comes from, okay? The, call, the, the Being called. Being called. Listen to what Paul has said earlier in Romans chapter 1 verse 6. And he says this to the Christians, including yourself, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 828, a verse that we haven't read, but right above what we have read, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Folks, it is not an accident that in the scripture there are times that God calls people to himself. It is not an accident in your life, in my life, that God calls you and I to salvation. Then he calls us together as a body of believers, and he has called us to go out from this place to serve him. And that's another sermon. But not only are we called, but when we're called, we're justified. Let me read a couple of verses to you, and this is very important. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the to the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The word justified means sinners who have been fallen short, who have fallen short of the glory of God, are now made right with God. Folks, when you and I come to know Christ as Savior, guess what? The relationship that we've broken with God as our creator, that we had broken by sin, is now restored through Christ, and we become God's very own children. And that might not seem like it's a big deal, but folks, it is. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called. We're justified. You know, it bothers me that people, and, and again, to hear this not as criticism, but folks, i don't lay this out on the line. If you walk around saying, I don't know if I'm saved or not, that means you don't know if the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from your sin. If you have come to Jesus and ask him to be your savior, the job has already been completed by Christ on the cross. It's a done deal. We're justified. And one day we will be glorified. Ultimately, we will be like Christ. Romans eight seventeen. Listen to this verse. And we're going to talk about these. I didn't read verse 9. Let me back up. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Romans eight seventeen and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Provided with, with we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. And then Colossians three four, when Christ who is our life appears, then we, you also will appear with Him in glory. Now what does that mean? And and we're going to get into that in just a, a, a little bit later, perhaps not this morning. But, folks, that means that we're going to be made like Christ. We're not going to be fighting this battle with our sinful nature anymore. Folks, you remember in, in Romans three twenty three, and that's such an important verse, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God or fall short of the glory of God. But, folks, when we go to be with the Lord, we are freed from our sinful nature. Think about that for just a second. Our anger, our pride, our lust, our greed... Any desire that is outside of the will of God will be freed from all of those things. And, folks, in these verses that I've read, being glorified is in the past tense, which means the final stage is so certain in God's eyes that it's already done. Have you ever heard that expression, you can take it to the bank, it's going to happen? Well, whatever God says he's going to do for us, you can take it to the bank, it's going to happen. And there's a third thing. Let me do this, and I'll close this morning, okay? There's a third thing that Paul tells us in verse 30. He has declared us not guilty. Can anybody here raise their hand and say that they are so good, they've never sinned, they've never done anything in rebellion against God, and and you don't have to worry about the blood of Christ because you don't need it? Is there anybody that can say that? And again, this is not sarcasm. Folks, we need to take a serious look at what Paul is saying. The penalty and wages of sin is what? Death. Can we say that again? Death. And it's not just, spiritual, it's not just death at the end of life, but it is spiritual death. And folks, look, we're not saying if you didn't get caught, you don't have to worry about it. That's not what we're talking about. Because guess what? God sees everything and anything we do outwardly and inwardly, mentally, emotionally. God knows. We cannot hide anything from him. But folks, in, our, in Christ, our sins are taken away. Now, how does that happen? Let me give you some scripture verses, okay? Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. You know this story. This is a promise of the suffering servant. And again, folks, I want to tell you something. God had a plan. How could a prophet six or seven hundred years before Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross, how could he know that God would send this Messiah? It was God's plan. And these men, these prophets who became God's spokesmen were moved by the Spirit of God, and God spoke his truth through them. Listen to what Isaiah prophesies about this one who would come. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole. With his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, would you notice in those two verses that he, him, and his are used, and each one of those words can be filled in with the word Christ. Christ was wounded for our transgression. Christ was bruised for our iniquities. Upon, the cha- upon Christ was the chastisement that made us whole. With Christ's stripes, we are healed. And the root word for salvation is also the word that's used for healing. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. And let me again read Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we only got three done, didn't we? But, folks, I hope you'll go home and look at this verse, this one verse. And just look at what the Lord Jesus has done for you and me. But let me ask you something. Have you allowed him to do that for you? You know, when I began this series two weeks ago, I told you that uh, I went to the bank one day, and and, uh, I can't remember now all the details, but they wanted to offer me something, um, um, that they gave all their customers, but I hadn't signed up for it. And I got a little bit offended. I said, what do you mean I hadn't signed up for it? been one of your customers for 30-something years. And they said, no, you've got to sign up for it. You know, we can talk all day long about what Jesus Christ has done for us. But until you and I allow the Spirit of God, not my preaching or another preacher, or another person until you let the Spirit of God convict of sin that you are lost in sin and the penalty of your sin is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. We're not talking about death. We're talking about life, eternal life through Jesus Christ his son. Would you trust him as your Savior? Would you let him do for you everything that he wants to do? And my dear Christian brother... If we leave this place today not thanking Jesus for what he has done for us, we've missed what Paul was saying. Let's pray together. Father, for me, time seems to go so quickly in these moments. Perhaps, Lord, for many in the pews, it, it goes by so slowly because, Lord, so often so many things are keeping us from hearing your word and not the words of the preacher but the words of the spirit and i just pray father that the spirit of god that inspired inspired paul not only to write these words but to understand them might inspire us to understand them too lord i thank you that it is your desire that all would be saved and lord today i pray that if there's someone here that is not yet trusted your son as savior and not allowed him to work in their heart and life, and give them eternal life. I pray, Father, they turn to you. Lord, in these moments of invitation, may the Spirit of God be given freedom to speak to every heart. Father, pray for we who are Christians. Lord, we have nothing that we can boast about of ourselves. But Lord, I pray that we would boast about you. I pray in our day-to-day living, Lord, we would let others know by our speech and our actions and even by our verbal witness that Jesus has made us different because he took our sin upon himself and because he has given us salvation. Father, again, bless and speak in these moments. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn this morning is number 143, You Are My All in All. Let us stand as we sing.